Good morning. Welcome to River Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're starting our fall series on the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're calling it The Reach of Grace. What does the reach of God's grace into our lives look like? How far does it go? What areas of our lives does His grace touch? Paul was writing to the church, the people of Corinth, and Corinth in Paul's day was a city that had been made new. It was built and and, uh, survived for hundreds of years and then was completely destroyed by Rome and then rebuilt just before Paul's day. It was rebuilt from scratch. And what that meant was that the settlement and the growth in Corinth was all brand new. There was no aristocracy to hold the land. There wasn't any generational settlement for power to be consolidated. Corinth was a completely new city filled with new money and a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstrap sense. There was an independent and upwardly mobile middle class. Ancient Corinth was a little bit like Las Vegas. Lots of new homes and new money and new settlement and anything goes as long as you flash what you got. That was Corinth. What salvation meant in a city like that to these people was that was wealth and a prestigious neighborhood, social standing to prove that you have climbed your way up, and some sort of spiritual life to be added on to the side. I wonder whether we're talking about ancient Corinth or are we talking about the O3? Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? And Paul's word to the church in Corinth is just as relevant to us as it was to them. His message was the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Christ in our midst at work, even amidst our suffering, that reveals God's grace. In fact, it is through suffering is one of the chief means that God reveals His gracious character to us. What a challenge to our easy believism Christianity today. The message of the book of 2 Corinthians is that God's strength is revealed in our weakness. And he begins in chapter 1 as we hear the reach of God's grace into our affliction, our difficulty, and our suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Hear God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. 
You also must help us by prayer so that many give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of the many. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that by your spirit you would draw near to us and open our eyes to what you have for us today. We pray, Father, God of all comfort, that you would draw near to any who are comforted, who are afflicted, who are struggling and who are worried this morning. Be our God of comfort, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, what is it that you have that you're passing on? What do you have that you are passing on? Missy and I, as you know, were on vacation the past couple of weeks. And on vacation, we had an opportunity to go into a glass shop. And in this shop, there was a man who was working away, making beads and ornaments and, and balls for hanging on the Christmas tree. And there were row after row after row of beads. And this man was working at his little bench, demonstrating how he produces all these beautiful things. And while he was working, Missy and I asked him questions. And one of the things that we learned is that this man was a fifth-generation glass producer. Fifth generation. It was amazing. Generation after generation in his family, they had passed on this craft of how to make these beautiful things out of glass. And he was now teaching a sixth generation. He set up a shop and he was teaching people how to produce these beautiful works of art made of glass. This man had something to pass on something to instill in others, and he arranged his life around passing on his craft. What do you have that you're passing on? The Apostle Paul spoke to this church and city of Corinth, not all that different from ours, and he spoke of passing on two very significant yet surprising things. The things he were passing on was affliction and comfort. More specifically, he was passing on to them an expectation of affliction, an expectation of difficulty and challenge in this life, but also he was passing on an experience of comfort. That's what the growing Christian life looks like, Paul suggests. Not that all of us are going to suffer and experience the same kinds of trials, the same kinds of affliction, but we all will experience it to some degree because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is filled with brokenness and sin. And rather than deny it, rather than shut our eyes tight to all the sin and brokenness in our world, Paul calls on us to see it, engage it, and experience God's comfort in the midst of it. How do we see that here in this text? Well, first of all, we see that the character of God is set on display in the theater of affliction. The character of God is set on display for the world to see in the theater of affliction. Look at verse 3 where Paul describes God's character as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And that's not just some label. It's not only a title for God. It describes something true about who God is. He is a God of all comfort. And that means something more than mere psychological help. It is that, but it's more. It speaks to something more than just a feeling. It is that, but it's more. It's, it's, it's the comfort and the consolation that Paul speaks of that is describing that state of peace that is experienced in the middle of difficulty. And that state of peace experienced in the middle of difficulty comes and is based upon God's commitment to deliver and save His children. 
That's why we have comfort. It is a sense of peace that we have in the midst of affliction, in the midst of challenge and difficulty in our lives, and it rests upon that bedrock commitment of God to deliver and save His people. That's comfort. And our subjective feeling of being comforted doesn't come from inside us, but it rests on God's unyielding commitment to you to save you and deliver you, come what may. Whatever else is happening in your life, God's bedrock commitment to you as His child is what brings comfort in the midst of affliction. But as we read, that experience of God's character of being a God of comfort has a context. And that context in which we experience God's comfort is our affliction. Paul describes it in verse 4. It's a word that describes an outward circumstantial pain. It can also be used to describe an interior mental anguish. He also calls our experiences sufferings, words that's used for physical misfortune. Even torture, even death is described in this word. Paul says in verses 8 and 9 that he felt sure that he was going to die. It had gotten so bad. He thought he'd received the sentence of death. That was an official proclamation that your life is over. Paul felt like that was said about his life. It was so bad. And yet he goes further to describe what God did for him in the midst of those afflictions and those sufferings, that sentence of death he felt like he received in verse 9. He suggested that it had a purpose. He said that all of these things came so that they would rely not on themselves, but on God who raises the dead. Is that not incredible? That Paul describes there's a purpose, there's a, a reason, there's a, there's a thing to grow out of our suffering, a thing that grows out of our affliction, and the purpose is our sanctification. It's a Bible word that describes us becoming more and more like Jesus. Growing in holiness happens in part through our affliction. As we experience God's grace, as we experience His presence, as we experience His comfort and learn to trust God in the middle of our trials, we are grown in holiness. This kind of purpose that we learn to rely not on ourselves but of God doesn't happen only as we read about God's character. But it happens as we experience God's character in the furnace of affliction, not outside of it. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. That's what he's saying to people like you and me who love to be comfortable. He's subtly changing our definition and our understanding of what comfort truly is. Because that kind of comfort comes in the theater of affliction, in the theater of our suffering. And we see God as a God of comfort, a God of consolation when we're in our suffering, not outside of it. But how counterintuitive is that? How counterintuitive is that as an understanding of comfort and being comfortable? So often we think of comfort in our world as having a cosmic do-over. You know, having the ability to wield this giant eraser that removes the things that we feel undesirable in our lives. We think of comfort as the ability to erase trials, to get rid of difficulties, to pass over suffering, to smooth out the things so that we feel comfortable. And when, when, when we ask for comfort, what we are most often asking for is no more difficulty. But that's not God's perspective. 
What Paul is telling us here is that God's perspective is that suffering and pain is real. And in the midst of that suffering and that pain, God is seen and experienced powerfully and personally in a way inside the pain that isn't experienced outside the pain. So why would we want to to, to wield this cosmic erasure to remove any semblance of struggle in our lives? That's where the growth comes from. That's where the holiness is produced. Growth doesn't, growth doesn't come by ignoring the suffering in our lives or pretending like it's not real. We don't grow by having a, a stoic face posing. We don't grow by avoiding all difficulty. But rather, growth comes when we face our difficulties, face our suffering with courage, and expect that God is going to be present in the middle of it. That's where growth comes from in the middle of our trials, expecting that God is going to show up inside the difficulty. That's where we truly learn to trust the God of all comfort. Paul told us that he felt like he had received that sentence of death. He was sure it was so bad, he was sure that he was going to die. But he didn't. One commentator suggested that the only thing that God destroyed in Paul through this trial was his sense of self-confidence. Paul wasn't destroyed, but his self-confidence was. Because all he had left was to trust in the Lord. And as he trusted in the Lord, he became more and more like Jesus. It wasn't avoiding the struggle that produced this in Paul. It wasn't wielding some cosmic eraser. It was knowing the Lord's presence in the middle of his difficulty. The same thing is true for you and for me. Where do we see this in our lives sometimes? Well, I'd suggest that we often see this in our own parenting of our children. Sometimes we feel like the best parenting is shielding our children from any sorts of difficulty or problems, right? Missy and I were talking about that just earlier this week. We feel like we're the best parents if we can protect and shield our children from any kind of challenge or difficulty. But that's not how God parents us, is it? He uses our struggles to shape us into the the men and the women and children that He desires us to be. So also with our children. Trials are the theater of God's shaping work in our lives. That's when we grow. In us and in our children. When we experience God's care. When we experience God's faithfulness in the middle of our very real trials. In the middle of our very real circumstances that, that feel awful. We don't seek to protect one another from everything because lack of risk isn't the context for growth. It is in challenge, in trial, in suffering that we grow. Yet there is no suffering that can outweigh God's powerful presence in our lives. And that's comfort. Whatever has come into your life, the Lord can strengthen you to stand up within it. Perhaps it's not with your parents. Perhaps you seek to be comforted by avoiding saying the hard thing to someone you love because you know the suffering that will come back to you. Perhaps we seek to be comfortable by pulling back from moving towards someone who's hard to love because we know the cost we're going to have to pay by making that choice. 
Sometimes we seek to be comfortable by hiding behind a facade of having life all put together because being out of control may result in us being honest about what's going on in our lives. And it's certainly not comfortable to feel out of control. Yet in all of those circumstances, it is in the middle of our difficulty where we sense and know and feel the presence of God at work. Our struggles are the theater of God's very clear, comforting presence. We're told that God is the God of comfort. But how do we endure our trials now? Well, the way to endure, Paul lays out for us here in this text. He's going to elaborate on it more and more through the book of 2 Corinthians. But here's the principle in chapter 1. Remembering God's work in the past, plus knowing what He's promised for the future equals confidence and peace in the present. Remembering what God has done in the past, plus laying hold of the promises for the future, equals confidence and peace in the present. How do we see that here? Look at verse 10. Paul said, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Do you hear the progression? From the circumstances where Paul felt like he was sure to die, God delivered them. He did this work in the past. He's faithful. We've seen him. We've felt him do this work in life in the past. And then he goes to the future, to the surety of the day of resurrection when God will certainly deliver. Our God is the one who will triumph on the last day. He will raise the dead. He will bring an end to all suffering and affliction and injustice and abuse and sickness and disease when He returns with renewing and resurrection power. God's presence and work in the past and His promise of a certain future gives us a hope in the present. It is those twin truths of God's work in the past and His promise for the future that roots our lives in hope today. You notice that in verse 9, where Paul says, the Lord is the God who raises the dead. Present tense. Raises the dead. He's the one who's worked in the past. And he is going to do this magnificent work of resurrection in the future. But that resurrection power is at work right now. It's at work in your life today. And that is where hope comes from. That's where endurance comes from. We set our hearts on hope because the resurrection power of Jesus can be experienced in the midst of our current struggles and difficulties and suffering. We experienced His work in the past. And we look forward to His work of renewal and removing any touch of sin and death on the last day. And we can trust that that same power is at work to rescue us from impossible circumstances and trials right now. And if He chooses not to rescue, then He will give us the strength to stand up within it. Whatever the suffering, whatever the trial, God's work in the past and His promise for the future is the fuel for hope in the present. So how do we see that work? How do we see that work in our world and in our lives. Let's take a couple of examples. It seems to me that our world needs a clear expression of hope in the face of injustice and racism and anger and pain as we watch the news come out of Tulsa and Charlotte this week. It's been tragic. So how do we find hope? How do we find healing in the face of those hard realities? 
Paul gives us some help here. We have seen God reconcile people in the past. We've seen it in the pages of the Scriptures, in the book of Galatians, in the book of Ephesians, where Jews and Gentiles had formerly hostile toward one another, hated one another, fought against one another, and yet because of Christ, that wall, that dividing wall of hostility came down. God reconciled these people who used to hate each other and He put them together in one church. He put them together in one body and those old hostilities were taken away in an attempt to love and serve and bless one another. He's done it in the past in the pages of the Scriptures. Maybe you've experienced it in your own life. Has there been anyone with whom you were experiencing trouble and you felt alienated from them? And yet God did something to reconcile you. Has that ever happened in your life? Have you seen God move magnificently when you didn't have any expectation this was going to work out? But God moved and brought relationships back together when they were broken. Maybe you've experienced it in the past related to racial issues, black-white issues, and you've seen God move toward a community and enable black and white citizens in that community to begin to genuinely hear each other, not just talk past each other but genuinely hear and begin to care and have a new harmony, a new reconciliation of relationship in that community. Have you ever experienced it? Have you ever seen it? Have you ever felt it? If you've seen God work in that way, hang on. Hang on to that because God has worked in the past and He promises something even better for the future. He promises an end to all sin and injustice on the last day. He promises that when He returns, all of racism and oppression and the sin of violence and systemic injustice is going to be brought to an end. Every person who feels like they don't matter in this world, it's going to be changed so that you know that you matter. You matter to your Creator when all things are made new. It's coming. It's a sure promise in the future. And friends, if you've seen God do that work in the past and you have certainty about what He will do in the future, then let that drive you to hope to reach out and take a risk to listen and love someone who may be filled with rage over injustice today. We can lend compassionate hearts rather than running away from these questions or or plugging our ears unwilling to listen, hoping that it all just goes away and we can go back to the way it used to be. There is no health There is no life in the way it used to be. There's only life in the reconciling work of the gospel. And if we have that truth of what God has done for us in the past and what He's promised in the future, then it can drive us to have open hearts and open doors to love people in the power of hope and in reconciliation because there is a God who raises the dead. There is a God at work now who brings life out of death, who brings life and reconciliation out of anger and hostility. There is a God who works that way and we can give our hearts to Him. Give our hearts to genuinely seek to understand and listen because we know that God will repair this brokenness one day. And may it start with us today. Will you be an agent of that kind of comfort? hanging on to the past and the future and let it drive you to hope in the present. How can we endure in hope? 
by hanging on to what God has done and laying hold to what He promises to do on the last day. And it will drive you to hope today. That's the way you endure. That's we're going to see as we make our way through this book. That comfort and that hope that we receive from the Lord is not simply for our collection. It's given to us that it might be freely shared with the body of Christ and freely shared with the world around us. And Paul begins to lay out for us that model in verses 4 and 5. The comfort that we have received in our affliction is the comfort that we are to give away to others when they experience affliction. That's the pathway. God gives it to us and we offer it to one another. That's the model. But there's a pathway to be seen if we dig a little bit deeper in this passage. And that model, that pathway, we see in verse 5. where Paul wrote, As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now what Paul is writing here is about our union, our participation in Christ, our being joined to Jesus, about our repenting and believing and then belonging to Jesus. He suffered and died in our place. It was our sharing in His sufferings that bring us life. It was Jesus taking our judgment upon Himself as He suffered for us upon the cross. We share in His death. Our sentence of death was passed on to Jesus on the cross so that we may also share in the comfort of His life. It's the pathway. What Paul is saying is that the benefits of Jesus' suffering and death on His behalf so that He might experience the benefit of the comfort and resurrection life that Jesus won on His behalf. It's given to us too. That comfort that comes to us when we feel like we are on the brink of death in our suffering and in our struggles. That comfort that comes is nothing short than the gospel truth that in Jesus' death we died. In Jesus being nailed to the cross, our sins were nailed to the cross. And in Jesus coming out of the grave alive, it promises that we will be alive too. It gives us comfort. It gives us comfort to know that Jesus' life belongs to us. And that's the hope that we have to give away. That's the comfort that we have to offer. When we suffer and when we struggle, we remind one another of the God who raises the dead. The God who has taken our condemnation upon Himself. He has set it aside so that we might live with Him forever. It's that comfort that we receive that we might realize that our suffering, our day of trial, our day of struggle has an end. But the life that we receive in Jesus never ends. Our suffering is temporary. Eternal life is permanent. And that's what we have to give away. Share in that perspective what we have received from the Lord. We give away to brothers and sisters, to a world in desperate need. But you know, you can't give away what you don't have. If you don't have that comfort, if you don't have that hope, if you don't have that life within you, you have nothing to give away. Have you personally known the comfort and the joy of Jesus taking upon Himself your sin, being crucified and judged in your place that you might receive the gift of life in resurrection. Do you know that personally? And if you do know that personally, 
you have something to give away. If you know personally that the pain that you experience is not all that there is, that there is another horizon of life, if you know that personally, then you will feel freer to enter into someone else's life and suffering. If you know that your suffering is not your end, you will have a message to give to someone else whose suffering feels like it is their end. But you can point them beyond. If you know the comfort and the joy that comes from the gift of the life of Christ, then your eyes can be lifted from a a myopic preoccupation with self in order to think about and serve others. What have you received that you can pass on to others? I think the question that Paul would lay at our feet, the feet of a community that loves to be comfortable, is this. Can anyone tell what you believe about your future? by the way you suffer in the present. Can anyone tell what you believe about your future by the way you're suffering in the present? That's what we have to give away. A comfort and a perspective and an experience of God that transcends a life of trouble today. Live and love and serve and give yourself away in such a way That it only makes sense if you're living for a different horizon. If you're living for comfort right now, your life is not going to make sense if you give it away. But if you're living for an eternal life and you give your life away, it makes all the sense in the world. What are you passing on? That man in the bead shop that Missy and I met had learned from his family, five generations of family, how to produce these beautiful things out of glass. And he was now committed to teach a sixth generation, but he was doing it differently. Because the sixth generation wasn't his family. He built a shop, and he's teaching anyone and everyone who wants to learn this craft because he doesn't want his craft to die. Widely teaching, widely casting, so that his craft won't pass away. So much more for you and me who have a comfort from God, a life to share with a world that is filled with anxiety and distress and destruction. We have something to offer. We have something to give away. And it is a God of all comfort. May we so arrange our lives that our community around us, our family, our workplaces, our neighborhoods see and experience a God of comfort through us as we are comforted by our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that You are a God of all comfort. That You have seen us in our sin and destruction and pity. You have seen the ways that we are marching ever toward rebellion in our own hearts. And yet You've had pity upon us And You sent Your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we might be rescued from that pathway of death. And we pray, Father, that You would use our church to be a community of rescuers. That we will have been blessed in order to be a blessing to our world. That we will have been rescued in order to extend Your rescuing grace to the world. We pray, Jesus 
that the comfort we have received from our Heavenly Father, who assures us of His commitment for our eternal life, may that comfort be given away to a world that is in anguish. We pray that You would put just one person in our lives this week who needs to hear and needs to experience that kind of love. Put one person in our lives and strengthen us to give it away. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.